Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time, for this beautiful morning. Lord, it says that your invisible attributes are clearly seen in your creation so that we don't have any excuse. And Lord, as I got up this morning and was freezing, Lord, I was reminded that you're in it. You're in it, Lord. Thank you. Lord, I ask your blessing on this morning, this time, and all these folks who have come. Lord, not because I'm awesome, Lord, but because you're awesome. So Lord, take these words, take this time, and just create a masterpiece. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, it became pretty clear to me as I've been kind of going through this and looking back and seeing where we've been and where we're going. I see this theme that God is weaving through, this idea of instructing this people that he's called out before they go into the... the um, no, that so wasn't it? Hey, by the way, that's a good reminder. You maybe take this moment right here to turn your phone on to vibrate. As much as I love that, as much as I love hearing all your creative phone rings, <laughs> it's okay, Denise. She's all red now. <clears throat> Anywho, the theme here, this is what I see. The, the theme is God instructing them how to go into the land that he's leading them in in relationship with him. This is how, he's saying, this is how when you go in, you have a relationship with me. Because as we see, God is about relationship. He's saying it to them. He says the same thing to us as we go through. And we kind of take what Moses is telling these folks and say, well, this is what God is telling them. And here's some application for us as well. What we can see is God is saying, when you go into this land, this is how you have and live in relationship with me. And as he's saying the same thing to us, as you uh, go and, and walk as a Christian, you, this is how you live in relationship with with me, and that's why it's so easy to make application from what we're reading to our own lives. He says to them, in, in chapter 12, remember, he said, when you go into the land, all of the external things that are going to try and draw you away from me, just utterly destroy all of those externals that are going to try and take you away from worshiping me and only me in the way and in the place that I say. And then last week, we looked at the fact that it says, if any among you, meaning if those who are in, um, in and among you are going to draw you away and try and, and pull you away from the worship of God, then you're supposed to get rid of those as well. And he says the same thing to us as we are supposed to look out in on our lives and say, okay, what are those things, those external things in my life that want to draw me away from my relationship with God? I have to get rid of that stuff, whatever it is. And, and I will never give you a list. Here's the list of the things that we need to get rid of as Christians, because you know what? There are some pretty obvious things, but there are some things that maybe only you struggle with. But as I say these things, and if I say to you, don't answer but what are the things that you struggle with externally that are calling you away from God? Immediately, I know God is bringing things to your mind. I don't even have to ask you to tell me. You know what they are. Not, you don't have to tell me. I don't really want to know. But you need to know. And then what are the things internally? What are those struggles internally that you struggle with that are trying to draw you away? from your worshiping God, and not just worshiping God, but worshiping only God in the way and in the place that he calls you to. Remember, we looked at the difference between them. They actually had a place. God will choose it. He doesn't identify it last week. He just said, in the place that I will choose and in the way that I command. You know, when Jesus came, he kind of turned that around a little bit, and he said, it's still in the place and in the way, but I am the place and I am the way. And that is the way that we worship God, at the place of Jesus. Now, you know, it's hard to say that, at the place of Jesus. Like, I could say, we worship at the cross. Kind of. But that's a little bit too limiting. It's just better to say, the place is Jesus. The way is Jesus. That's how we worship God. And he says, Jesus himself says, I am the way. I am the only way to the Father. The only way. So we're called to do the same. And so we're called to say, look in externally in our life and internally in our life. And what are the things that would like to pull us away that were our intent of pulling us away from worshiping God? 
I, you know, I was kind of walking around outside this morning, and um, I started talking to God about some stuff, some of my own stuff, some of your stuff, some of the church stuff. And it was like God was saying, you know, there are so many of you, probably me included, who are trying to figure out how do I take God and add him into my already life? And God says, what it should be is, I am your life. How do you then add the other things that you do into that? Oh, so we turned it all upside down. And we're like, well, I'm going to just you know, open up my satchel and put God in there, and I'm going to walk around and do whatever it is that I do anyway. And then uh, when I need him, I'm take him out and put him on the shelf and be like, God. and then you know what God says? That, you might as well be a pagan, because what you're doing is you're trying to control me and use me the way that the pagans would use their gods. Rather, he says, just like we sang, turn your eyes on Jesus, and everything else starts to fade away and becomes unimportant. You know what God also told me this morning? I, I don't have any, gang, I don't have any of this written down. It's just God was talking to me this morning. He says, for many of you, the future is your enemy. In the sense that everything you think about, everything you're afraid of, and all your anxiety is wrapped up on what that next thing is. Whether it's what I'm going to do tomorrow, what I'm going to do in the future, what about retirement, what about my kid's college, or what is this person going to think of me when I do this or that? And we're so wrapped up in the future and God says, you're not even promised the future. You're promised right now. We are promised right now. It could all end the minute we walk out this door in whatever way or fashion. I hope it is the rapture. I am ready. I'm ready. I mean, I really don't have a team in the Super Bowl, so I don't care at this point. It could be right now. <laughs> Chapter 14 is very interesting because on top of all of that now, he says, that here's the theme, be different. Be different. He's going to tell us some practical ways that they are to be different, but that's the theme. Be different than all of those other people around you. When he's talking about the pagans in the world that he goes in, to us he's saying, to the non-believing world all the way around you, on the left and the right, the north and the south, be different. Not weird. Some of you have got this confused. <laughs> Be different. <laughs> yeah. Maybe be different and weird. I mean, I, I you know. <laughs> Let's look at chapter 14 here. It says, you are the children of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves nor shave the fronts of your head for the dead. Um, you know, when this says you, you are the children of God, it feels kind of commandy. Um, but in Hebrew, it says beloved children, beloved children. And it is really, it is, remember, God is speaking through Moses, who's then speaking to the people. And God is saying to the people, he's calling them beloved children. He's not, he's not kind of pointing his fingers like, you are the children of God. He's saying beloved children. You shall not cut yourselves nor shave the front of your head for the dead. I, I just, that just makes me laugh a little bit because what is it about isolation that makes people think that they can cut their own bangs? <laughs> I saw so many videos over the whole, you know, everyone go home and, and isolate. And, and I saw so many videos of people like, okay, and they're, you're getting all their hair and they're just cutting across. And, and they never thought that was a good idea before, but all of a sudden they're home, they're by themselves, they're thinking, I'm going to cut my own bangs and see how that goes. Has that ever worked? Have you ever? It used to just be three or four-year-olds. <laughs> now it seems like that's part of the pandemic is that people think they can cut their own bangs and you can't, just don't, just don't do it. It doesn't come out good. Then you have to stay home because you can't go out looking like that. <laughs> That's not what this is talking about, actually. Um, it made me think that. But this says that you are not to cut yourselves nor shave your head for the dead. He's saying that the, the pagans have rituals, that they do mourning rituals. Not mourning rituals, but like mourning rituals for the dead. So they would do things like they would cut themselves in a ceremonial way, or they would cut their hair to show that they were mourning for the dead. And, and Moses is saying here, don't mourn for the dead the way the pagans mourn for the dead. Do you guys get that? You feel like there's a difference 
even in our lives, between how we, as those who believe in a, in a heaven, because God told us there was one, and that we get to go there if we are followers of Jesus Christ, that we have a hope of seeing those who have gone on before us here, we have a hope. And because of that hope, God says, you don't mourn in the way that the world mourns. You know, we lost a few people this year, Tony and John, others I'm sure. And while we are sad, and we were sad, we also rejoice in the fact that to us, for a Christian, for a believer in Jesus, uh, our death is actually a coronation. Because we, we go to heaven, we receive our crown. And so while we're sad because we know we're going to miss that person, we're going to miss how they impact our lives and the joy that they bring, 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 brung, <laughs> brought, thank you. It's a good thing I teach the Bible and not English. We're going to miss that part of it. We're going to miss what they brought into our lives and the joy and the things like that. Um, and that makes us sad. But the differences between us and people in this world who have, that are not believers, they may hope, but their hope is like the world's hope. I hope there's something, but I don't know. A Christian says, I hope, and my hope is secure. I know that heaven is there. Heaven is waiting. So we don't mourn in the same way. We sorrow, but we don't despair. Do you know the difference? Sorrow is intense emotion, grief, despair. Look it up. It says the absence of any hope. Despair means that you've given up hope. A Christian, we never give up hope. We have a hope in heaven, which means we have a hope in seeing that person again. And so we're sad but we have hope. See, and it was interesting to me as I just sat with this for a little bit this week and thought, this is, this is what I have seen in my lifetime in, in, in the world is that when someone dies, it used to be called a funeral. Well, then it got changed from a funeral to a memorial. And then from a memorial, now they're calling it a celebration of life. And I can see in that that the world so desperately wants the hope that they see in the lives of those around us, us Christians. They just don't know where to find it. They want the hope. It's a celebration of life. But really what they're looking back at is their past life, the celebration of the life that they lived. But they're gone. When we celebrate the celebration of life and the life of a believer who's passed away, we do remember that, but we celebrate their eternal life that we will also be a part of if we are a believer as well. And the, the non-believing world so desperately wants what we have, they just don't quite know what it is or where to find it. The Bible says that how can they know unless someone comes and tells them? And how can someone tell them unless we go and tell them? So we can look around the, the non-believing world and say, oh, they, you know, they don't know how to mourn. They're so sad. They don't have any hope. But God says, okay, then you take it to them. And you tell them why you have hope after this life. Don't mourn as the world mourns. Be different. It says in verse 2, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God and the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. A special treasure above all people who are on the face of the earth. Oh, boy, you know what? Do you want to go? Okay. All right. Sometimes people get hung up on this where it says in the Bible, referring to the Jews, you are a chosen people. God did choose them. He chose them when he chose Abraham, and he said, from your descendants, I will create a people. But sometimes people get hung up on this idea that just the Jews are chosen, right? But really what I believe God was saying is they're chosen, and they then believe and follow what I say. They believe what I say. They believe who I am, and they follow my instructions. That's what he's saying right here when he says, follow my commandments, but what I know is that it's not so exclusive to the Jews that it wasn't open to anybody else. This is how I know. Two, things, two ways I can tell you. When they were called out of Egypt in the Exodus, when they left, it says that it was a mixed multitude. That means it was Jews and some Egyptians that went because they chose to believe and follow God. Right? 
Does anybody else remember that part? How about when they and Joshua, uh, the book of Joshua, when he leads them in, and they go in and the walls of Jericho come falling down? Well, there is one person in particular in there who chose to believe and to follow, and her name is Rahab. Remember her? She actually can be counted in the lineage of Jesus. So not only was she uh, included in the chosen, but she was included in the chosen line of Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah. So it's not as if he's saying only these people are chosen and nobody else can be a part of this. He was saying you can be a part of the chosen, but you need to believe and follow. Guess what? Same message today. Same message. In fact, I hear a lot of people sometimes say, well, Christianity, it's so narrow. It's exclusive. It's too exclusive. Well, is it exclusive? Well, it is in the sense that God says there's one way. It's exclusive in the way because Jesus is the only way. We've already covered that. But is it, is it exclusive to who can worship that way? No. That's the beauty. It is exclusive in the way, but it's not, a, not exclusive to the who. Who? It's exclusive to who they come to worship, but not who can come and worship. You get it? Is it narrow? Yeah. Yeah, it's narrow. In fact, Jesus would say, Broad, wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many people go that way, but small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life. Few go that way. So he's not saying um, that it's narrow to the number of people that can come. He's saying it's narrow in the way, and the way is Jesus, meaning all roads don't lead to God. Only Jesus leads to God. So is it narrow? Yes, but is it open to everybody? Absolutely Absolutely it is. But there in verse 2, it says, a special treasure above all the people. I mean, first of all, he's not saying you are a special people. If you look at that, and in Hebrew it says, you're becoming a special. Well, this says treasure. In Hebrew it says people. Isn't that interesting? The, the word in Hebrew is special people, but it got translated in English, special treasure. Um, we've seen it in Exodus where it says that you're, we're considered a peculiar treasure. I, that's more true than you know, I think. For Again, some of you, more peculiar than others. Me too. But God says, you're not a treasure right now, really. But he says here, you're becoming a special people. You're becoming a special people. Well, I'm glad for that, actually. I'm glad that it's a process, that God understands that it's a process. Because if he was like, well, you have to be really special person to come. You have to be like a finished product. I'm only taking finished products. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> there aren't any. He's saying, no, you're going to become, you're going to become, it's a process. I once heard it said to uh, a fisherman cleans the fish after he catches them. He does no one no, the fishermen, they're not catching already scaled fish. So he catches the fish, and then he cleans it. And that's what he's talking about, right? You don't have to be cleaned up, already finished, already perfect to come to the Lord. In fact, no one does that. There is no one. He says, no, but you come, I'll take you however you are. However you are, as filthy as you think you are, as much as you think a lightning bolt is going to strike you when you walk through the door. I, I, people say that to me. I can't go to church. God will strike me down with a lightning bolt. And then I say, well, then I'm not going to stand too close. Thanks for the warning. <laughs> no, and I say, you know what? You come as you are. Come as you are. God loves you how you are, but he loves you too much to leave you in that state. And he will cleanse you. And sometimes it, sometimes it feels like he's just washing me with a soft rag, and I like that. And other times it's like he's got the Brillo pad out, like trying to get the stain out. I'll take either special treasure above all people. And he says, um, in verse three, he says, you shall not eat any detestable thing. Now it's actually, we're going to go through this list in a minute of all the things that are clean and unclean and all that. But that verse struck me like a hammer. Verse three, you shall not eat. In fact, it's, you shall not partake 
of any detestable thing. And there's really no reason to look up the word detestable, although I did in several. It's like abhorrent. Um, any, anything, any word that you can think of that would mean detestable in your mind, that's what that means. You shall not partake of any detestable thing. Um, that's going to talk about food in a minute, but think about it. The message of God is talking about setting yourselves apart, getting rid of idol worship, getting rid of all the immorality that the world is trying to suck you into. And he says here, do not partake of any detestable thing. What are they? What are the detestable things? Again, I'm not going to tell you what they are. You got to say, God, well, first of all, you know what they are. You know what they are for. You know what the detestable things are. You know the things that are in your life that you're like, I really, I mean, I need to not be involved in this. I need to not partake of this at all. It's detestable. God says it's, it's abhorrent. Abhorrent. Disgusting. Whatever it is. And, and as I'm saying these things, some of you are, there, there's things coming to mind right now. And you know, and it's like that secret thing that nobody knows that you do or that you look at or that you're involved with or that you think about and that you welcome in when it pops into your mind. You know, the devil wants to come alongside you. He's going to whisper detestable things in your ear from your past. You have a choice right there. And you could say, I submit to the, I submit to God and I resist the devil. And the Bible says that he flees. That's the verse. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And I honestly I have to do that all the time. The devil brings up stuff from my past all the time. Sadly, and if you're a young person here, the stuff that you look at when you're a kid, it's locked in. And the enemy will say, remember this, remember this, remember that? You looked at this, you did that, you were here, trying to get you to think, I am just, I am the worst, and I, you know, and I give up. And you say, God... I submit to God. I resist the devil. I do that all the time. I feel a lightness come over me. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes my flesh battles me even in saying those words because I know the power of those words. I know it. And I know that if I say those things, then the devil flees from me and the temptation lifts from me. But there's a part of my flesh that battles me because my part of my flesh says, yeah, but don't you just want to hold on to that a little bit? Don't you, remember how cool that was, how good that felt, whatever you want. Remember that, and it holds on a little bit. And, and my, honestly, I'm telling you folks that there are some times when I'm like, I know there's power in those words, but I just want to hang on to that a little bit, and so I don't go to the words. I hold on to that detestable thing. You know when it happens? When I'm alone. Last week it says that if... If uh, in, 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 verse thir- in chapter 13, it says, when your brother or your friend or your mother or your f- really you know, close person to you comes to you in secret, right? Comes to you when you're alone. And so when you find yourself, and as we're talking about, as that applies to us, the things, not, not our friends, could be our friends, but also the, the struggles that we have internally. When you're alone, those are your weak moments. Those are my weak moments. I know that if I'm alone, that's when the devil kind of saunters up. He starts whispering in your ear, like, remember when you did this and how much fun that was? I know it's not good. It's not great. You know, remember when you ate a whole box of ho-hos for dinner? That's a true thing for me, but I like to use it because it doesn't make anybody uncomfortable. But you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. If you know that you're alone and you get tempted, then what's the answer? Don't be alone. Don't be alone. If your spouse travels and you're home by yourself, find a way to get fellowship with somebody else. Open up the Bible and start reading the Bible. If you need to go out to the library or go for a walk or get out where there are other people, do that. Don't get alone. Pick up the phone and call another friend. Do something. If the being alone is the time that you're the weakest and you know it, find ways to not be alone. You know what? If you're up in the middle of the night and you're watching TV and you're like, I really shouldn't be watching this, here's the answer. Go to bed. (laughs) I know this is coming right out of my own life, gang, so sorry. In fact, if you have my text number 
and it gets to be like 11 o'clock and you're still awake, text me and just say, go to bed. <laughs> you don't know how much that will help me. Because then if you, next time if you see me and you'll say, when I tested you, did you go to bed? I have to tell you the truth. And I will want to say, yes, I did. Thank you. I'm in for it now. I can already see it. <laughs> uh, you know what? This is, this is who you got. All right, verse four. These are the animals which you may not eat. I'm just, stick with me. I'm just going to read through the list, okay? The ox, mmm. The sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the mountain goat, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. And you may eat every animal with a cloven hoof, having the hoof split in two parts, and that chews the cud among the animals. All right, I'm just going to stop there for a second because I just... It's going to keep going back to this chew the cud, chew the cud, chew the cud. So I just want to make sure you know what that is, all right? There are some animals that have multiple stomachs, right? Like a cow or an ox or a goat, right? And so what they do is they go out and they eat grass, but they don't chew it all up. They eat it and they swallow it and into their first stomach. The, 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 and, and in that stomach... Um, is something called the rumen, which is like a, a mix of bacteria and, and acids, and it starts to break down uh, with enzymes the, the thing that they ate, the grass that they just ate. <laughs> then what this animal does is it kind of like brings it back up, mmm, and chews it up some more now that it's been like partially dissolved and it's starting to break down because the first time they didn't get the full nutrients, right? It had to go into the and mix with the rumen. Um, and these animals are called ruminants. I learned this, ruminants, right? Um, and so it, it kind of mixes and comes back up. And then they, they bring it back up into their mouth. And then they chew it up some more. And this is good for them. And it's also the sign of a really calm, peaceful animal. So if you see an animal sitting there and it's chewing its cud, it's all like, it's all chill, right? You know, that's as the kids say. It's all like relaxed and calm. And so this is, this is a good thing. Um, and so what he's going to say is um, animals that have a, a split hoof and chew the cud, those animals are clean. But if an animal doesn't have both of those things, not clean. So we could say it might have a split hoof, but it doesn't chew the cud, don't eat that. And it might chew the cud, but it doesn't have a split hoof, don't eat those animals, right? And there's some interesting symbolism here uh, that I was reading. It's just, and you know, maybe it's a stretch. I don't know. I'm going to throw it out there and you guys do with it whatever you want. Uh, but there's some idea of the fact that it needs both, this idea of the, the split hoof. You know, with an animal and, and with a person, the thing that comes in contact with the ground, the earth, the world, is the foot, right? So with these animals, what, he, what it's kind of saying is their foot is split, or the word actually in Hebrew is bisected or separate, okay? So think about that. It's an animal that has a foot on the ground, but it's separated. Or this is what we're talking about. God is saying... Be separate. Be different. Now, this is the really cool one is the chewing of the cud, right? So think about this. So as we're supposed to be separate, you know, we're supposed to be animals that are separate in, in our contact with the world, just like the, with the cloven hoof. So also are we to take in the thing that gives us the nutrients, chew it up, take it home, bring it back up, ruminate, right? Ruminate. I, I, you know what? God gave me that. And I was like, I got to look that up to make sure that's what it means. But ruminate is a word that means to think about something over and over again. It also is what this cow does or this ox or this goat. They're called ruminants because they eat, turn it up, bring it back up, chew it over and over again. And isn't that what we're supposed to do with the word? We're supposed to take it in, bring it back up, chew on it for a while, redigest it so that we can get all of the nutrients from whatever it is that we've just taken in. And so we are supposed to be kind of like uh, separated and ruminating on the word. Cool. Is that cool? I didn't make it up. I just read it and I thought it was really neat. So do with it as you will. Those are the animals you can eat. Nevertheless, uh, um, and, and you may eat every animal with cloven hoofs, having the hoof split in two parts and that choose the cud among the animals. Verse seven, nevertheless, of those that chew the cud, or have cloven hoofs, you shall not eat. That means one or the other, okay? They either chew the cud but don't have a hoof that's split, or they have a hoof that's split, and they don't chew the cud. 
such as these, the camel, the hare, the rock herricks, for they chew the cud but do not have cloven hooves. They are unclean for you. Also, the swine is unclean for you because it has a cloven hooves, yet does not chew the cud. You shall not eat their flesh, nor touch their dead carcasses. These you may eat all, all that is in the water, and you may eat that has fins and scales, and whatever does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. It's fish. He's basically saying you can eat fish. You know what's interesting to me? Like, who was that first guy that reached in and grabbed out like an octopus? I was just like, oh, this is going to be good. Now, I, have you ever had octopus? It actually, if you cook it okay, it's, it's okay. But I mean, when you grab that slimy thing and it's all goo, or like who grabbed the lobster and was like, I'm going to eat this for the first time or broke open a clam? <laughs> it's all slimy and goo. Who looked at that and was like, oh yeah. <laughs> Doesn't seem like too much of a stretch. Here's the crazy part. Like, he's saying, here's all the animals that you can eat. And he's going to go through birds. He's just going to say, you can eat all the clean birds. Doesn't even list them. Then he's going to say, here are all the birds you can eat. And he's going to actually list out those birds. But here's the thing. It's like, this is, when, when we read this, we were like, well, why can't I eat those things? Why can't I eat those? In fact, it's one of those things like, I never thought about eating ostrich before, but now that God says, don't eat ostrich, I start thinking, huh, I could maybe go for some ostrich all of a sudden, because we have in us a heart of rebellion that says, why can't I do that? Why aren't those clean animals? Why are those unclean animals? How come I can't eat a pig? Everybody else is eating a pig. Why can't I eat a bat? (laughs) It's on the list. You know, and you can go through, and there's all kinds of books. You can go onto Amazon and find all kinds of books about, you know, number one, diets that are based on this. Diet books that are like, here's all the things that you should stick to these and not stick to, not eat these things because this. And, and, and there's all kinds of law, uh, Jewish law that says, well, you don't eat these and you do eat these. And if you don't eat, if you do eat these things together or that all, then, then you're transgressing the law. Um, and, and also, I've heard message upon message about explanation. Well, God didn't want them to eat pigs because, you know, they weren't able to cook the pig long enough to kill all the worms that live in the meat. Yum, by the way. True. But they, we, have, we have this, like, all, all this information that says, well, they just weren't smart enough to cook the food in the right way, and God was protecting them. And we start to explain because we have to understand why God does everything. We have to understand it. And God says, just don't, because I've asked you to. Just be obedient. Isn't it enough? If God says, don't eat these animals, rather than say, well, why? Isn't it enough to just obey? Who are we talking about here? We're talking about God. I believe that God created the entire universe by speaking it. I believe that he holds it all together in the palm of his hand through sheer will. I believe that he says in his word that he knit me together in my mother's womb. I believe every miracle that I read in this book. And yet I still look sometimes when he says, don't do this. And I say, but why? And he says, isn't it enough to just obey? Isn't it enough? So I have to ask for forgiveness and say, it is enough. I'm sorry when it's not, but it is enough. I will, I will obey. Here he says, these, uh, in verse 11, all clean birds you may eat, but these you shall not eat. The eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, dang. <laughs> right. The red kite, the falcon, and the kite after their kinds, every raven after its kind. The ostrich, the short-eared owl, the seagull, the hawk after their kind, the little owl, the screech owl, the white owl, the jackdaw, the carrion vulture, the fisher owl, the stork, the heron after its kind, and the hoopoe, and the bat. Don't eat any of those, he's saying. And look, we, we go through and say, yeah, but, but you know, well, why not the ostrich? And God says, because I said so. I mean, how many of you are parents? No one? All right, that's a few. 
How many have ever said to your kids when they said, why can't I do this? You just say, because I said so. Because, just, because I know and you don't. And you can't understand it if I explain. We get the concept when it comes to us and our kids. We do not apply that concept many times when it comes to us and God because God says, because I'm God. And we're like, but why? We have to understand God. And he says, you just, some things you just will not understand. Some things you will not understand on this side of heaven. But when you get to heaven, all things will be known to you. And you know what? You won't care. It'll be heaven. There'll be fried chicken. <laughs> mm -hmm. You shall not eat anything. Uh, also, every creeping thing that flies is unclean for you, and you shall not, shall not be eaten. Every creeping thing. Sorry to tell them that the, the, the grubs and the bugs were off the menu for them. And, and again, many cultures eat bugs and grubs. And, and actually, he's going to go on to say to Peter later, remember in Acts 10, he'll say, he gives them this vision of all this food, all these animals coming down. And, and uh, he says, kill and eat. And Peter says, oh, no, Lord, that's always a good bet. To, that's a, always a good way to go is to just contra and say, no, Lord, you've got it wrong. <laughs> so we do that. I don't suggest it, but we do it. And, and he says, no, no, I've never eaten an unclean thing in my whole life. He says, this is God he's talking to, by the way, who knows him from the very first moment of he breathed. And he says, no, no, I've never eaten anything unclean. And God says, you know what? Um, everything that I've called, don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. Now, his central message there to Peter was, I'm giving you now the open door to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So don't call the Gentiles unclean and keep it from them. But he uses a very familiar symbol to them of food. And saying that there is nothing that's unclean. In fact, Jesus will say it's not the thing that goes into your mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out. And I'm not talking about cud. <laughs> I'm talking about the things that we say. Those things that come out of our mouth, that's what defiles a man. So Jesus will say later, it doesn't matter about the food. Uh, but no bugs. He says, you shall not die. Uh, you shall not eat anything that dies of itself, and you may, give, you may give it to the alien who is in your gates and, and the stranger. You know, like, you don't eat it, but you can give it to the guy. You know, you can give it to your neighbor if he's not a Jew. You know, that's what he's basically saying is anything that dies on its own, you can't eat that. But feel free to give it to your, your neighbor. <laughs> this is how I know that God isn't necessarily applying safety restrictions to the way they prepare food because would he wish harm on a non-believer? Would he wish them to get poisoned and sick by giving them food that was bad? No, this is him saying, they do that, you don't do that. And you don't do it because you're to be different and you're going to worship me in a way that's different than anything else. So if you see uh, a dead ox along the side of the road, you know, examine it. I mean, that's, it's, it's gross. But really what they're saying is like, you can go ahead and offer that to somebody else, but you can't eat it. Not because it's unhealthy, but because I say so. You are to be different. It says here, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. <laughs> We've talked about this before, but here's the thing. Like, um, why would he put that in here? That's very specific. That's not like, don't eat bats. That's very specific. Don't boil a kid goat in the milk of its mother. Um, and, and I've looked at this before. I've read about this before. But God really, you know, he said to me, the reason it's here, the reason I'm telling you this is because that's a pagan fertility ritual. That you are not to worship me in that way. It's completely in context with what we're talking about, isn't it? I heard some people, like I've heard some people read this and say, well, th this has to do with um, it's cruel to boil a baby goat in its own mother's milk. That goat is dead already before you even get to the milk, right? There's no animal cruelty message in this, I believe. This is, this is a pagan ceremony that they did that God was saying, you are not to do this ceremony. This is a pagan ceremony. However, this very verse 
was taken and, and, and just stretched beyond belief, so much so that kosher food laws are based on this, in part at least, this verse, not to combine meat with dairy. Because if you eat meat and you eat dairy in the same meal, they go into your stomach and the acids in your stomach, when they start to break it down, are boiling. And set, there you are, um, boiling meat and dairy together in the off chance that the meat that you ate was the offspring of the animal that made the milk that then you either drank or ate the cheese and that combined. And it is a huge stretch, huge, huge stretch. You can't even go over there and get a chicken sandwich in, in Jerusalem right now with cheese on it. And last I checked, chickens don't give milk. So there's no chance of that combination, but it is the, a strict adherence to a crazy understanding of this law. You do not mix meat with dairy. And it was a way for them to refine and refine and refine so that they, at some point down the line, could say, well, I keep all of these laws perfectly. Jesus would say to them, you strain on a gnat, but you choke on a camel, which they weren't supposed to eat either, by the way. But but his point was saying, you're so hyper-focused on the net, because this literally would happen. They'd be going down the street, walking along, and a bug would fly in, and they'd go in their mouth, and they would gag themselves trying to cough up a gnat. And he's saying, you strain at a gnat, but you swallow a camel means you're so hyper-focused on this, but the bigger picture of how and where and who you are to worship, you're missing it. You're missing it because you're hyper-focused on one tiny misunderstood part of the law that I gave you. And it still happens. It still happens, right? We still do that. We like, to, we like to sometimes focus on, you know, a particular verse and hold somebody up to that. And we forget that God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Mercy, right? I mean, where's the love? Where's the grace? I mean, the grace that God extended you, you know how bad you were. You know how bad you were. And God extended grace to you and mercy to you. And he says, now do the same. But we're gagging on a gnat. Well, he says, you shall truly tithe in all the increase. Finally, a message on tithing. Yes. Sheesh. <laughs> Sorry, it's not that. You shall surely tithe in all the increase of your grain that the field produces by year, and you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide. In the tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil and your firstborn of your herds and your flocks that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Here's the thing. People have always gotten tied up on tithing. Oh, tithe means tenth, and so I have to give a tenth of my income. But is it my net income, or is it my gross income? Is it after all my expenses? Because right there, that's kind of saying of my increase right there. And here's the thing. Tithing in the Bible as it comes to God is not a transaction. It is an act of worship. That is what he's going to talk about right here. Tithing is not a transaction. It's an act of worship, and it doesn't matter whether it's like, well, I have to give a tenth. Is it a tenth of my time and my money and my resources, or is it just my money or whatever it is? And God, was, God will say, I believe to you, if you're so hyper-focused on how much or how 10% of this or that or whatever, you're missing it. It's a transaction to you. He's saying it's not a transaction. It's an act of worship. And you are supposed to be doing it rejoicing. Remember in Exodus when they were building the tabernacle and he called everybody to give so that they could build this or build that or create this? It says in Exodus 35, 29, the children of Israel brought freewill offerings to the Lord, all the men and women whose hearts were willing, not compelled, willing. In 1 Chronicles, when it's talking about the same situation, but with the temple, it says that the people rejoiced for they had offered willingly because with a heart, with a loyal heart, they had offered willingly to the Lord. Willingly they offered. In 2 Corinthians 9, Paul says, He who sows sparingly reaps sparingly, but he who sows abundantly reaps abundantly. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, 
for God loves a cheerful giver. And see what it says. It's always from the willingness, from the willingness. And this, and Paul would say, you need to get with God and you need to decide what it is. How are you going to worship him through your tithing? Now, I could tell you that your tithing to this church is between you and God. There is only one person at this church who knows how much you give. Jeanette. Because <laughs> she's the secretary. But it's not me. I don't know. I don't want to know. That is a thing between you and between God. But he says it's not out of necessity. It's worship. It's how you, and in part, worship me. And you do it, and you rejoice because you get to do it. So he says, when you come to the place that I've set aside for you, um, this is what you do. You, you bring this tithe. But if the journey is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money, take the money in your hand, and go to the place where the Lord God your chooses. And what he's saying is like if you've got like a grain offering and a firstborn offering and some other kind of offering and you live far away from where the tabernacle or the temple is and it's a hardship for you to like transport whatever it is you've got, then you sell it at home, take that money. And notice he says, take that money in your hand. So he's like saying, just keep it separate. Take that to where God has chosen to be worshiped, exchange it back for, he's going to say, something that you're going to offer me, and then do it there. And I think that's really kind of nice of God to be able to say, look, if you live too far away, I'm not going to make you drag three, you know, a sheep and three bushels of wheat and, and, you know, and wine and all this way. You could sell it, and then when you get here, you could purchase a new offering and you can offer it there, which, by the way, worked out good for a while and then went horribly, horribly wrong, didn't it? Right? Doesn't Jesus go into the temple and see what they, st- they started to do is just cheat everybody? They started to cheat them because they were like, well, you can't use that money. You have to use the temple coin. And, well, the exchange rate's pretty low today. Uh, and they, would, they were ripping them off. And boy, does that make God mad. He hates that. But this is where that, this is the opportunity. He says, you're still going to come. You're still going to worship me in the place that I choose, in the way that I choose. You bring your money in. And he says, um, <clears throat> And you shall spend that money on whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink, for whatever your heart desires. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice with you and your household. And so, again, he says, you're coming to worship. You can bring money. You can buy a sheep if that's what you want to worship me with and rejoice. You can buy wine or other fermented drink. It's like, it's like uh, beer is what it says really in there. Um, but don't get too excited because what it is, it's an offering, which you do this. <laughs> and you pour it out, and then you cook the lamb, and then you eat the lamb with, and it's a rejoicing time of feasting, right? That's supposed to be serving God and worshiping God. It's supposed to be something really amazing. Not that, okay, everybody, let's go. You have to worship God again. <laughs> I know there probably were a few of you today that like woke up and like the tip of your nose was cold. And you're like, I can't believe I got to get out of bed and go to church today. I hope not. I hope all of you were like, whoosh. Let's go to church and worship. Woo! Yes, amen. That's, that's how it is for me really, really early. <clears throat> ah, you shall not forsake the Levite who was within your case. Again, another one of my favorite verses right here. I think you get it, right? Levite was their minister. Do not forsake your minister. Just saying. I'm going to leave it at that. I think we know what we're all talking about here. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce that year and store it up in your gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied. This was a special time every third year that instead of going off to offer this offering, off to offer this offering, they would do it there, and they would include the Levite and the poor. And it was a special time of sharing their lives with those who maybe they didn't interact with too much, the, the, the fatherless and the widow, the poor. It was a beautiful time that God said, every three years, we're going to determine that every three years, you are going to do this. 
you are going to have this feast time together with those who maybe you don't interact with too often. Because then especially sharing a meal with somebody was like sharing their life with you. Like you would become much closer, even one. In fact, because a lot of times what would happen is they would share bread, right? And there would be this big bowl of, I don't know, goo, whatever goes in there, like dip or something. And you would like rip off a piece of bread and you would dip it in the bowl and you would take a bite and then you would dip it in another time. Yes, double dip. I know it wasn't a thing then. And then the other person was doing the same thing. And in fact, it was kind of like you were becoming one with that person. And God says, you know what? We're going to do that every third year. Every third year is going to be a special time. You know, actually, we do that every month, don't we? We do a potluck here every month where we get to come. And, and the hope is that maybe you'll sit with someone you don't know. And you'll talk to somebody who you haven't really got to know yet. I, I don't suggest you reach over and dip your bread in their soup next week. But I might, just to see what happens. I might do it, just to see. Um, But it is a time to share in another person's life, to share your life with them and let them share their life with you, because then we kind of grow up together and and, 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 and in unity. Okay, we're not going to do 15 today. It's too late. It says that the Lord, your God, may bless you in all the work of your hands, which you do. Oh, man, that, he says... When you share your life with someone that you don't know, it comes with a special blessing. Honestly, how many of you have ever sat down and shared a meal with someone you didn't know and not come away feeling just like blessed by that whole situation? Just being like, man, that that guy is so cool. You should hear about her life. And and, uh, man, they really encouraged me. And we prayed actually at the end and it was wonderful. And it's a special blessing that God promises will come from something like that. And we're not going to do 15, so I don't have to study for next week. I'm all set. Excellent. All right. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this word today. Thank you for what you've showed us and how rich this is, Lord. I thank you for using me in this way. What a privilege. What an honor. Lord, I pray for each and every soul here today, Lord, that uh, they would um, have heard and taken in these words that you spoke through me today. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, Lord, that their hearts are being pricked right now by the Holy Spirit. Let's say, I don't know all of what he was talking about, or most, or any, and he's crazy anyway, I think. And Lord, that's okay. I'm a fool for you, that's for sure. But Lord, I pray that person would just not walk out of here today without talking to someone and asking, can you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this space, Lord. I thank you for what I see happening in this little church, Lord. I pray that each one of us would take it out of here, go out the walls, the doors of these, 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 this church here and take it out into the community, the world that we live in, and share it. Lord, that we would remember to do it with grace and love, not judgment. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, Lord, I pray. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org.